All right, what's up, everybody? First of all, I want to wish you a happy new year. I've been thinking about some new things, some new ideas. So over the past few weeks, I've recorded a few trial runs, let's say, of some formats that I've never really seen anywhere else. If you find it boring or not interesting, just don't listen, and I'll see it in the stats. So without further ado, I'd like to share with you the biographies of great writers, artists, maybe inventors, we'll see. Just people who represent the other life ethos, people who have figured out how to produce great work from the fringes or from some kind of weird, strange niche that they carved out for themselves in life. There are so many examples of this, which I kind of see as the other life spirit, if you will, out there in history. And I'm familiar with many of them. It's my familiarity with many of them that has colored this brand or community or whatever you want to call it around the podcast and the newsletter. So I have a few lined up in no particular order. It's not like this is the most important, but without further ado, today I'm sending you a passage from a biography of the French novelist Balzac. This is a short true story about books, childhood, the productive benefits of disordered knowledge, unjustified presumption, printed paper, ecstasy as a motivator and a product, and a kind of hunger that nothing can ever satisfy. It describes the early childhood of a young boy who would eventually grow into the nation's greatest novelist of the 19th century. So I think you're going to find it interesting for a few reasons. First, it just paints a fascinating picture of education in France in the early 19th century. But more importantly, it's, I think, a very inspiring vignette about something we see in the early lives of many great writers, which is here we have a strange, disaffected, aloof child who just seems a bit absurd or confused or even dumb, but his appetite for wonder and for knowledge and perspective drives him from an early age to just totally withdraw from the world and society into a life of the mind. This is from a book called Prometheus or The Life of Balzac, written by André Malroy. It was written in 1965. Vendum College, where young Balzac entered at the age of eight in 1807, was one of the most original educational establishments in France. It had been founded by the Oratorians, who, like the Jesuits, devoted themselves to education and were known for being liberal which must have pleased Bernard Francois. In fact, the two men who, at the time of Balzac, were directing college, Marechal and de Seigne, had both accepted to swear allegiance to the nation. Both were married. But these married priests kept their Catholic faith and maintained, in the college, an almost convent-like discipline. The children did not leave the establishment until the end of their studies. Quote, Our students never go on vacation, the directors wrote to the rector. They never leave the town. Parents are asked not to call their children. A censor unsealed all letters upon entry and departure. Families abdicated. The Oratorians of Vendum taught respect for the emperor, without which their establishment would not have survived. But they resisted the military spirit of the lycées of the empire. The bell, not the drum, marked the works and days. The school regulations prescribed reading out loud during meals as a precaution against excitement. 
The Oratorian Fathers, however, allowed conversation in the refectory. When it was reproached to them for this laxity, what then, they replied, for good manners, for discipline, for the good work accomplished during the year, we do not grant holidays, we deny ourselves the rest they would bring, and the economy that would result, and we are accused of the amusements we allow to our pupils? What were these meager amusements? Well, quote, a few trips to the countryside organized like this. One leader, three teachers, and 44 pupils. The advanced ones left at four in the morning, walked four leagues to visit a forge, a glassworks, or an observatory, frugally dined on the grass, and returned home tired out. End quote. One must admit that these distractions seem manly and rustic. The college led an austere life. One can see in the Library of Vendum a drawing depicting the mathematics class. Despite a poor stove, the professor teaches with his head covered and the collar of his coat turned up. As for punishments, they consisted of corrections applied on the fingers of the guilty with a leather ruler, ultima ratio patrum, which caused sharp pains, innumerable assignments, and long stays in a kind of dungeon placed under the stairs and called by the pupils, quote, the alcove, or, quote, the wooden trousers, cells of six square feet allocated in each dormitory to the rebellious. Balzac, when he entered Vendum, was a plump boy, red-faced, melancholy, and silent. He had had sad memories of his family life. For a long time, he would describe guilty mothers who loved an illegitimate child but persecuted a legitimate son. He brought to the college the painful mistrust of a beaten dog. He felt neither grace nor boldness. Did he find affection among his teachers, which his parents had not given him? One of them, Father Lefebvre, had a great place in the child's life. This teacher showed, according to his notes at the novitiate, quote, talent, wit, memory, more imagination than judgment, and a taste for wonders and systems. In this, he was close to his strange student, who too had an appetite for wonders. Feeling exiled on earth, young Balzac waited for a miracle from heaven. One of the tasks of Father Lefebvre was to classify the immense library of the college, which came in part from the pillaging of the castles during the revolution. He gave mathematics reviews to Balzac, whom his father dreamed of entering one day into the Polytechnic Institute. But as Balzac was more of a poet than a mathematician, Father Lefebvre willingly allowed his student to read during the review period. So in accordance with an implicitly agreed pact between the two of us, I would not complain about a lack of learning. This is Balzac. And he would not mention my books. It was a vast number of loans, and the father did not check the titles of the books chosen by the young Balzac, who read during recesses under a tree while his classmates played. He often got himself locked in the punishment cell to read in peace. Thus he developed a real hunger for reading. Thus he began to acquire a considerable amount of disordered knowledge, which, by its very disorder, gave his thought a precocious originality. Quote, Since my childhood, I had struck my forehead, saying, like André de Chenier, there is something there. I felt a thought to be expressed, a system to be established, a science to be explained. End quote. He was the only one to imagine a great future for himself. In the eyes of his teachers and peers, he remained an ordinary student, remarkable only for his appetite for printed paper and a presumption that nothing seemed to justify. Like André Chenier, he also tried to write verses. Here, in Balzac's words, quote, I was nicknamed the poet in ridicule of my attempts, but the mockery did not correct me. I rhymed always, despite the wise advice of M. Marichal, our director, who tried to cure me of an unhappily inveterate mania, telling me of the misfortunes 
of a warbler fallen from its nest for having wanted to fly before its wings were put. I continued my reading. I became the least active, most lazy, most contemplative student of the small division, and as a result, was often punished. End quote. In fact, his vocation then called him neither to poetry nor to science, but to seek an obscure and naive philosophy. Wounded by the ferule, hurt in his affections, he took refuge in the skies open to him by his thought. He may have been less precocious than Louis Lambert, but, like him, he read mystical writers who, quote, accustomed him to these intense reactions of the soul, where ecstasy is both the means and the result, end quote. From childhood, reading had become for him a kind of hunger that nothing could satisfy. He devoured books of all kinds and indiscriminately feasted on religious works, history, philosophy, and physics. His eye embraced seven or eight lines at a time, and his mind appreciated the sense with a velocity equal to that of his gaze. Often even one word in the sentence was enough for him to know its flavor. He remembered with the same loyalty the thoughts acquired by reading and those suggested to him by reflection or conversation. End quote. At the age of 12, his imagination, stimulated by the perpetual exercise of his faculties, had developed to the point of giving him such exact notions of things that he perceived only by reading that the image imprinted in his soul might not have been more vivid if he had actually seen them, whether he proceeded by analogy or whether he was gifted with a kind of second sight. The word seer early became part of his vocabulary. Seer, like seeing, not like searing a stick. A seer contemplates the past, the present, and the future in his thoughts simultaneously. Why should this be impossible? In my dreams, lying on my bed, I travel through space and time, so space and time are wholly present in my brain. On the other hand, since the spirit can thus travel, since thought acts at a distance, thought reading is possible, as is second sight, which contemplates objects from a distance in imagination. The will can be gathered and projected beyond oneself, allowing one to act on others at a distance by magnetic force. And he, Balzac of the College of Endum, possesses this force. Thus he reached the second class. The abuse of reading, the visions it awakened in him, his days of solitude in the dungeon had plunged him into a strange, quote, absent state, a kind of coma that was all the more alarming to his teachers because they could not see the causes. In fact, he seemed absent because his mind was elsewhere, in the worlds evoked by his readings. In the eyes of the oratorians of Vendum, the young Balzac was a lazy student, working little, who could not bear cerebral fatigue. Becoming thin and puny, Balzac looked like the somnambulists who sleep with their eyes open. He did not hear most of the questions that were addressed to him and did not know what to answer when he was asked abruptly, what are you thinking about? Where are you? This surprising state, he later realized, was due to a kind of congestion of ideas. At the age of puberty, when the physical forces, in abundance, should be expended, he lived only through the spirit and had the appearance of stupor. The good Marichal was frightened, called Mrs. Balzac, and on April 22, 1813, in the middle of the school year, the student was returned to Tours to his family. His father and sisters were horrified by the state in which he returned from Vendôme. So there, said Grandmother Salambier, sadly, is how the college returns, the lovely children we send it. That was an excerpt from Prometheus ou la vie de Balzac. In English, that's Prometheus or the life of Balzac, written in 1965 by André Morrois.
Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. This is the Other Life Podcast, and I'm Justin Murphy. Thanks for listening. As always, we have some cool stuff going on in the community. I won't talk your ear off about that right now, but I'll put some links in the show notes, some courses and events and meetups and stuff like that going on. So I hope to hear from some of you. Happy New Year and over and out.